This is Jakari Jackson for Axe9Films.com, and you're listening to the Axe9Films podcast. Our mission is to share the unique stories of how believers encounter Christ. And each week, my wife April or myself will do just that with a series of interviews. In addition to the audio version that you can get here, if you go to our YouTube page, Axe9Films, that's Axe, A-C-T-S, the number nine films, you can receive the video versions as well. This is our first episode, and the first guest we have for you is Minister Lanny Rayner. He's a prolific teacher of discipleship in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and in his interview, you're going to hear him discuss how he first came to Christ, also his youthful days, which, as he put them, went up in smoke because of his drug addiction, about the death of his daughter, and how he still processes that to this day. This is a very powerful interview, and I definitely recommend it for those dealing with grief or loss, and we'll get to that in just one moment. But if you're interested in Axe 9 Films and the other projects we have going on, you can stay to the end of the episode where we'll go over some of those in more detail. You can also go to the description below and see the appropriate links. But for right now, here's the interview. Okay, so the first question is, how did you encounter Christ? Well, gosh, it goes back, I was raised in a church, right? So little Southern Baptist church in small town Oklahoma in the 50s. And uh, so I came up with that and received Christ when I was probably about nine. But I really count my conversion, if you will, of March 26, 1985. <laughs> and this is joy. This is joy because that was 34, over 34 years ago. And my life hit bottom. I was tired of things as it was. And I remember all I knew was Southern Baptist at the time. And I was driving around with a job I had that I hated and realized that I was just like tense sitting at a stop sign in a neighborhood. And I, I was tired of the drugs. I was tired of my life being messed up. And I looked in the phone book and found the closest Baptist church to me and drove there never been there in my life never saw the pastor before and he wasn't even there i sat and waited on him because my life was a mess and you know when you hit bottom there's nowhere else to look but uh till you hit bottom you're looking for an exit uh but once you hit bottom you can only look up and that's what i had hit and so he came in later i lit he listened to me for over an hour and the first thing he said after I talked was, he said, Lanny, I want to pray for you and get you delivered from the demon of drugs. And a lot of people think that's a bigger miracle than my deliverance, is that a, a Southern Baptist pastor would talk in that language. And, uh, and he did. Laid hands on me, prayed. Instant, total. Like I said, that was over 34 years ago. So I count that as my legitimate official coming to Christ. I, I went ahead and got baptized again, even though I was baptized as a child. Uh, but I just, um, I just, I wanted to. So, so I've, I look at that as that's when my life really, really changed. You know, before I believe it was valid. I was, a, you know, I was a child being raised in the church. But that situation had so much impact on me. And is responsible for me where I am today. That was the turning point because 
that was in March. Well, in Christmas Eve of that same year, that pastor called me into his office because those were some financially deficient years, to say the least. And he called me into his office on Christmas Eve. I still have the Bible, Thompson Chain Reference Study Bible. And he signed it, slid it across the desk and said, you have the gift of teaching and I want you to start lining yourself up to use it. And so that's why I say, that's the point for me. And that's why it brings out so much emotion is because I know what I was before. The drugs, I knew all that. And that was where it changed totally and sent me up to the direction that I'm still walking out now. And could you elaborate on your teaching? Uh, we know you're very active, but to the, to the viewer, you know, what is your teaching and how did you grow in that? Well, like I said, uh, uh, Brother Phil, it's what he wanted to be called, not pastor, you call him Brother Phil, uh, told me that. And so I began to work first with the children and quickly found out that was not my spot. I love children, but that wasn't me. And there was a, an older gentleman, uh, older than me at the time, because uh, like I said, this was 34 years ago. And he was working with young adults. Well, he was unhappy. And we got to talking and wound up, it's like we switched places. And I found home, he found home. And so I began to teach just the Bible studies, uh, just what we call Sunday school in those, in those churches. And there's been a, of course, better be a lot of growth over the years. But one of the first things that, things I had to develop was I thought I had to have all the answers or I wasn't, I wasn't a teacher if I didn't have all the answers. And that concept is miserable. It's hell, really. <laughs> it is. Because I don't have, that's why now when I teach, I've, the first thing I tell you, don't expect me to have all the answers because I don't. But we'll try to find them together. And so that put me on the path of developing. And the biggest area of development, the, the, the largest condensed area of development came and, uh, uh, when I was at Greenwood Christian Center. And, and I was, at first I wasn't a teacher there because I, I came in and I believe you're to serve wherever you are. So I, was, I served wherever I was needed. And uh, eventually I got the opportunity to teach. And I've said it publicly before, and I'll say it again, that Pastor Gary McIntosh gave me the freedom for me to develop my style. I didn't know that you did such a thing. That's what was happening, and I didn't know it was happening. But he gave me the freedom to do that. And I'm, I'm convinced, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that most pastors would not have allowed me to develop the way that I did. I remember Pastor Gary used to say before an encounter when I'd get up and speak, and he said, well, I don't know what Lanny's going to do, but just be ready. I had that kind of freedom, and I'm eternally thankful for that because that those years of doing encounters and in teaching classes there helped me to develop, and that's why I loved it whenever they said, they, uh, originally when they would do the discipleship classes, 
Each 12 weeks, they would change teachers. Well, when I started, Pastor Debbie asked me to help her. It was, we want to keep the same teachers with the class all the way through. And that's a dream come true for a teacher. Because number one is you get to develop more quickly because you're doing it every week for almost a year. And number two is you get to see the fruit of the effort because you get to see the people get it start to change, start to apply it. And that is a tremendous amount of encouragement for someone who loves to teach. Um, and I, I tell people, just so they'll know, I've never been in any Bible college. I've never been to any college or training. Uh, the only criteria, the only justification I have to be able to do what I do is the Holy Spirit and His spiritual gift. That's it. I have nothing else. Uh, so I tell people, if you're looking for some kind of credential on paper, I don't have it. Uh, but that that the the real the development that got me to where I am today was that at Greenwood Christian Center, those years that that I was there, and and that teaching over and over and over again, week after week for months and months at a time, allows you to develop much more quickly than like our encounters, even though we did four a year. You know, you're talking every three months you would teach. But that classroom weekly was was just so valuable to to me. Okay. So the next question, okay, we know you suffered the loss of your lovely daughter, um, but yet you still believe even after that. Um, we just want to know, can you tell us about the death of your daughter and how it affected your faith if it did, and how did you overcome it? Yeah, this... Of course, I, I got... I remember exactly what I was doing when I got the call. I remember the day. It's... It's the one that... No parent wants. You know, and I, I'm, I may have been serving God, uh, uh, and I, as I tell people that, that my faith was challenged. Uh, my daughter had medical problems. She actually had open heart surgery when she was two years old, and the official. Autopsy was heart attack. Her, her daughters found her, and that was the official autopsy. Um, she had had some other medical conditions that I believe contributed. She was four months short of being of being forty, and I believe the medical condition was a very painful condition called CIDP. Uh, contributed to her heart failing because there had been no problem since her surgery at two years old. And so we're talking 38 years later. And I believe the CIDP contributed because it's extremely painful and nothing helped. And she had had this for about eight years. And, uh, but I got that call and I, I went down, drove down there, and uh, that totally changes life. Uh, do I have questions for God? 
Yeah. Did I backslide? No. Uh, I remember nine months after that, my wife started to telling me, she, several months, she said, Lanny, you need to be teaching again because pouring out helps me. And uh, I said, well, I don't have a place because we were in between churches. I had told Pastor Lawrence before he even started his church, I would help him teach. I'd teach his first round of classes. And so this was nine months after she passed. And he called me and said, we've got a place, we've got classroom space, let's get this thing going. And so I did. And I, I told the people in the class, I said, I, first class, I always give expectations, what I expect of people and what they need to expect of me. And that's where I tell them, I don't have all the answers. And I told them right then, I said, you guys are going to see a lot of emotion in me. I'm emotional anyway. I don't hide it. Uh, I tell the men in the encounters, if you got a problem with seeing a man cry, you're going to have a problem with me. Uh, because I know where I've been and I know what I've been through. And most of the time, the tears were joy and thanksgiving. So I said, you're going, I'm, I'm expecting for myself emotional healing because I'm going to be pouring out through the pain. And I believe that was part of what helps me. The, it, it changed, of course it changes everything. And, and I, I tell people, that's what I tell people. I said, look, do, do people that have a loss a favor and do yourself a favor. Number one is don't tell them you know how they feel. I know people that have lost children. I don't tell them I know how they feel. I know the loss. I know that tremendous void, but I don't know how they feel. Don't do that. Don't tell people they know that you know how they feel because you don't. Don't tell people they're in a better place. They're an angel. Don't tell them that's, none of that's true. I mean, yes, in a better place, yes, but I'm not. That doesn't help the person. Just don't do it. Uh, one of the things, I read this card probably 30 years ago. I wish I would have bought it, but in those days, it was drug days, so I didn't think about anything like I'd be teaching someday. But I read this card that still impressed me to this day. It said, when people are hurting, they need a piece of your heart, not a piece of your mind. And so people just, you just need to be a listening ear when somebody's lost. They've lost a loved one. Don't let them lose their friends. Don't, don't, don't avoid them. Just be there for them to pour out. And you may sit there for 30 minutes and them not say anything, but you're there. And so through this process relating to teaching, which is my purpose, and uh, actually my purpose is to be a bearer of truth. Teaching is a vehicle that I use to achieve that purpose. But I, I learned some tremendously valuable things. In relating to teaching, one of the first things that I learned was, because we teach it in when we talk about uh, potential, one of the greatest 
enemies of potential is regret. And I've learned because of my challenge with procrastination. Procrastination is a great creator of regret. And see, life sometimes has a way of handing us things that we don't really want. See, I was supposed, my daughter was supposed to bury me. That's the progression, that's normal progression, we think. I wasn't supposed to bury her. It threw everything off. I realized that, and this is what I always say, the only breath you're guaranteed is the one you just took. Next one's not guaranteed. And I learned very important, I've learned how we allow the enemy into our lives with open doors. He don't, have to, he don't even have to knock, we open them. And I've learned the danger of procrastination. It's an open door that the enemy uses to come in to bring regret and chaos and, and lack of order. And I've learned through this situation that if you want to minimize regrets, take care of the matter at hand. See, whenever I have an opportunity, whether it's here or in a class or somebody at the coffee shop like happened this morning that asked me a question, what are you doing? And I share. For that time, I've got to give it everything that I have because if I take care of what the Holy Spirit has given me to do for that moment, I minimize regrets. And minimizing regrets makes life much more enjoyable. And I can I know for a fact that after my deliverance from drugs, I set my then 12-year-old daughter down and asked her to forgive me because she had seen her daddy stoned for years. She had seen him after the divorce, and I moved to Tulsa. And like I said, I, we were always close. I got her every chance that I could that she saw a lifestyle that she shouldn't have to see. And I set her down and asked her to forgive me. And, and to the day she died, and even now, I'm still walking this thing out. And I know that if I had not taken care of that matter at that time, and she had died and I had never asked her to forgive me, that it would be probably nearly unbearable for me knowing that she went to her grave and her dad never set things right, never told her this is not what you're supposed to see in a man. So take I've learned, take care of what the Holy Spirit's given you at the time because I may not be here next class, you may not be here next class. And that is one of the many valuable things that I have learned through this process. And I've learned from this process is that there's a phrase that I read, and it's so true. We get through, we don't get over. Uh, people, when they, because I, some people can't talk about their loss of a child. And, and I have no criticism of that. For me, if I can use it to help somebody get through, I will do it. And also there are things that I teach and I'll make statements. And I know that whenever I, I can qualify my right to make the statement I'm making by letting you know what I went through. 
Yeah, I, 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 I could make a strong statement and, well, what right do you have to say that? I've been through it. That's the right that I have. And so I will let you know that's why. I don't want sympathy. I'll take your compassion, but I don't want to. I don't feel sorry for me. It has, it has created a passion in me. See, my daughter never truly understood her value. She never understood her self-worth. Now, I know some people will say that, oh, don't we spend too much time talking about self-worth. It's, 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 it's all about God. It's all about Jesus. You know, and it's not about self. Okay, there's a balance with that. Is the Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, that to me says self-worth. That says I'm worth something. God paid a price for me. So, so my self-worth and the self-worth that I teach is that it's based on the Christ in us. So, so there's a balance to it because, yes, you can get way out there with the wrong thinking. She never understood hers. And I know for a fact I started in the late 90s trying to get her to understand it because I have some artwork that I did for her. And the statements I made in calligraphy and framed and gave to her, I was starting to try to get her to understand her potential. She never really understood it. And so part of what helps me get through the loss is that I took the... I had two options as far as I'm concerned. I really only had one option. I had two choices. And that was I could either let it make me a victim, and here I am almost seven years later, I could be woe is me still. People would still be patting me on the back and saying, oh, poor Lanny, his daughter died. Messed him up. And that would be valid. That would be true. Or I could take that situation, take that loss, get passionate about helping people to understand their value and and every time that I see it in class I see I share something and someone changes the way they're thinking it removes some of the burden because I'm I'm trying to get people to understand please don't live your life like my daughter did please don't do that and so it releases some of the some of the burden that I have so I've taken that that created a passion that drives me. That yes, I taught before and I loved doing it before. And I remember the person that I count on the most to tell me the truth when I'm teaching is, is CO, my wife. And uh, this, like I said, when I started teaching the classes uh, for Going Hard for Christ, she. Uh, because uh, we're members at another church, she came by about after I got been going four or five weeks, and came by and and sat in on the class. So when I got home about an hour later, uh, I asked her what you think, because I know she will be straight with me. She said, "Well, I always enjoyed it before, but she said you're different." And she said, "I know it's because of Angelique." So that confirmed in me that I had taken the weight, the loss, and, and converted that into a passion to be the driving force to try to help somebody understand their value. And that helps me handle not having my girl. Because sometimes people 
mention it, and this happens. And they immediately apologize. And I tell them, don't, because this is always there. It's always just below the surface. And it's uh, whether it's a song. See, in the building where she had her first apartment on her own, it, you, you never know what's going to trigger it. It just comes, and it just explodes. So I, I don't want people to feel sorry. I don't want them to apologize when they ask. I'm, I'm glad that they're concerned enough to ask. And uh, so it, it, that's how I handle the loss. And, and I remember uh, at the end of the first round of classes that I taught, Pastor Lawrence asked me if I wanted to speak on Wednesday night. And I did, and I knew what the message was supposed to be, and I didn't want to give it. I remember uh, talking to CO, and I was trying to make another message work. It was running down. It was getting down to a couple of days before. And I said, I know I'm supposed to speak on faith, but I don't want to. She says, why? I said, because me as a teacher, I want A plus B equals C. And I don't have that with faith. I believe my daughter would be healed and she died. I said, I, I don't, uh, this is a challenge for me. And she said, Lanny, your testimony is, in spite of this tragedy, you're still standing. You didn't back up. You didn't abort your purpose and your, your potential. You stuck with it. Yes, you got the questions. You know, when I, people say, oh, when I see God, I'm going to ask them questions. When I see God, I won't care about it then. All I know is now. See, one of the things the enemy wants us to do is to get hung up on what we don't know. I don't know why my daughter had to die. I don't. But I know that I have purpose. I know I have a spiritual gift. And I know that through all of the hell of this loss, that and the pain and the void of this loss, that is still valid. That is still called upon. That is still necessary for me to function. And it is using that is what helps me get through the loss, is using what I've been given, not getting focused on what I don't know, but walking out what I do know. Because a lot of times we use that as an excuse of not doing anything for the Lord. Well, I'm waiting on God. No, you're not. You're using that excuse to sit back and be lazy. Because I may not know that, but I do know this. Does that make sense? So that's what gets me through this void. Uh, because, and, and people, I've had some people try, oh, you just need to get over it. Like, well, I said, first of all, I, I say this. I said, if her loss, my grieving her loss was holding me back, I would agree with you. It's dangerous. But it doesn't hold me back. It has actually, in a sense, propelled me even faster than what I was before forward. So I think I'm good to go with that. And if, if the Holy Spirit convicts me different, then I'll, I'll, I'll change. I will, as long as I'm in my right mind, I'm going to grieve the loss of my girl. 
but it does not hold me back. I am not a victim. I am moving forward. I am using, I've given everything that I can with the opportunities that I have to make a difference in somebody's life so that they will understand their value, understand their potential, and, and walk in that. And, and not live a life that's broke down and less than, never good enough for some people. That, that they don't live like that. That they don't have to live like that. That they understand that God thinks more of them than what somebody else may think of them. That is what helps me get through day to day. Did I answer your question? I guess just in general, but, but actually ties to that. And, and that's where, this is where I am with, and, and I'm so thankful that Pastor Lawrence keeps pulling on me to, to come over here and teach because it keeps that learning process going. But in the process of this material that we use, uh, there's been a key element that has become central to what I just shared and everything else and I believe it affects everything that we do. And that is, nothing changes till this changes. That's why the enemy battles this. That's why we have the the word that you know the, the be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And nothing changes till your thinking changes. See, the whole thing about belief is. When you've had a change in belief, there will be a change in actions. If you, have, if you tell me you have a change of belief, but your actions don't change, I don't really believe that you had a change of belief. I believe you have wishful thinking. And that's one of the things that goes back in with the faith. Because the first book I read, and my wife said, I had the book already. She said, you need to read that book now. About three months after my daughter passed. And it was Dr. Miles Monroe's book on rediscovering faith. And it, right off the bat, it's... Do you have your faith is worthless till it's tested? And then he said also, can you walk out in the darkness what you learned in the light? And I learned through her death that I could. Because in the light, in praise and worship, we and within the sermon, we always hear you praise God no matter what. Walking through the valley of the shadow, all of it, you still praise God. Well, it's nice to say it, but can you do it? And I learned that I could. I didn't understand it. I just knew I could do it, and I did it. That I that I praise God, and that's part of the the faith that you praise Him in spite of the circumstances is the faith. So so I learned those things through that book that that I had to walk this thing out, and I had to praise God in spite of it. I'm not praising Him for the circumstances. I'm praising Him in spite of the circumstances. And, and that's part of the process that got me through. And it is through all of that gets tangled. And it comes back to the way you think. That if you don't change the way you think, if you don't change, if you're, you say your belief changed and it hasn't, it, you, your belief didn't change. All you have is wishful thinking. You want it to change. You don't know how you want it to change. And that's all we, uh, God wants us to do is to say, look, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't know how many times I've said, Lord, I don't understand how this is going to work. I don't know how you're going to do it. I just know it has to change in me. 
I don't know how you're going to walk me through this. Just please do it. And he does. And I sometimes I still don't know after it's done how he did it. But it's a change of mind. So this process that we have to, that, that, that we're the soul, the spirit, the body, all of those things working together. That, but it's the mind until we get this mind changed, until I get this thing settled, that Lanny, to be different, you have to do this. And, and we, you know, we say that we can't be holy, we can't be perfect because we're only human. Well, that's not what the Word says. See, I'm at that point in my life. I just turned 66. And I'm at the point of, I am in the fourth quarter of life. And, and I don't have time to waste. I never did, but we think we do when we're younger. I don't have time to waste. And so I'm, I'm, my thinking has shifted so that I'm looking at this thing like, Lord, Lord we got to get this right. And, and CO and other people have said, Lanny, are you questioning God? And I said, no, I'm questioning our understanding and interpretation of God. I'm understand, questioning our interpretation of the Word because the Word says that, uh, uh, that we have been given everything we need to live a holy and godly life. But yet we turn around and say, I can't do that because I'm not perfect. Then somebody's lying. And I don't think it's the Word. It's our, and, and, and I don't think we're intentionally lying, but we are not understanding what the Word says because this hasn't changed. We have the built-in mechanism that is a default for excuse to not live like God says that we can live because really we don't want to put that much effort into it when it comes down to it. I don't want to give up some of these things because I like it. And, and so in the last year, when I, and it actually changed. I mean, it actually became more ingrained and more important to me, uh, more critical to me, when I taught The Missing Ingredient. The Missing Ingredient is an incredible book. And we had it before as The Greatest Secret. But there's something about when he redid it became The Missing Ingredient, because uh, I've taught it twice now, once here and once for Pastor Ron Overton at Connection Church, that it drives home the importance of our thinking and why our thinking lets us down is because we're approaching it on a shallow level. We're not getting in deep. And some people say, oh, you're getting into psychology. Perhaps. So what? If God designed this thing, and so you're telling me that I need to change the way I think. I need, to trans I need to be renewed by the transforming of my mind. Well, how can I fully and effectively transform if I don't know how this thing's working? And if it takes me getting into a little psychology that is completely substantiated with Scripture, then so be it. And we've been, we've been living in such a shallow level with our thinking that uh, and, and learning through this process of of this of the the missing ingredient and in some teaching that I got years ago on merismos merismos the Greek word meaning divide asunder as in Hebrews four twelve the word is sharper than a two edged sword to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit to separate the soul because the soul is the screaming kid in Walmart that wants the candy that they it's not good for them the the soul is the part of us that the enemy can come in and whisper in the ear and tickle and 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 want to get us to have our way because the soul is mind, will, and emotions. 
and we can trace all of our problems back to something I was thinking, something I felt, or something that I wanted. I wanted my way. And so that's where the enemy whispers. You know, we have at salvation, our spirit connects with God. And the spirit is supposed to direct the soul. And then the soul directs the body. The body is the vehicle we drive around on this earth to do the will of God. That's the way it's supposed to work. Well, after the fall, the, with the soul too many times, or the flesh, takes over. And we're trying to get communications from God through the flesh. And, and which is, we want to do, we want God to do our will our way. Not his will, his way. And, and so that marismos is separating so that I can get some illumination and clarification in the soul so then I can whip it back to shape and come in with our spirit to work with the Holy Spirit. And, and all of this has to do with the mind, has to do with my will. has to Because with the will, then you run into two key words that define as far as I'm concerned because I have to break things down simple to where I can understand it and teach it. Well, this, to me, is, the, is where, where, the, where all of it comes down to this as far as sin comes down to the will because my will most of the time is going to be disobedient to God's will and so we come down to the two things that's, that define all of the sin obedience or disobedience and the things that I want well until that heart that mind the will the emotions until that is regenerated through the word which that's dividing asunder, then it's going to want its way. It's going to kick, scream, cry. It's going to want its way. We use the word to get it aside. Get Come on, get this thing in order so that we can do this thing together that we're supposed to be doing. I, I can't fulfill my purpose. If I'm living in my will and what I want, and, and I could even uh, break it down very practically and simply with nutrition. Nutrition is deeply spiritual because if I'm called to the nations but physically I'm, I'm so out of shape I can't walk four blocks without losing my breath, how can I go to a third world country and, and, and be in a place to where I don't have the air conditioning, the heating, the, the fine cars, all that stuff that I've got to walk, I've got to work hard. How can I be if I'm not in shape? Don't tell me nutrition isn't spiritual. And, and so even with physically, my will is I want that cheesecake. I want that piece of dessert. I want sugar every day. But the truth of the matter is to him that knows to do it right and doesn't do it to him it is sin. With me, I have to watch the sugar because it gets to me physically. It messes with me physically and, keep, and can take me into diabetes if I don't control it. And so, so then I see just a practical application of if I take get my will, then I'm going to destroy the potential that I have. I'm going to destroy my ability to walk out the things of God. That's disobedience to the purpose that God has put in my life. That's a simple practical explanation of this thing about how dangerous our will is with it unregenerated. Because once we get it generated, you know, God will give us the desires of our heart, but yet the Word says the heart is exceedingly wicked. It is both of those things. The problem is, is, is who's the sinner? If God is the sinner, that's why God can say to us, I'll give you the desires of your heart. If I'm seeking Him, the desires of my heart are based on His will, not mine. If I'm seeking my way, if I'm over in the flesh, it's what I want. And God, I want you to bless me so I can buy this or so I can keep doing this. No, it don't work that way. 
And so it all boils down back to the mind. It all boils down to the way we think, the processes that we use. And if we don't get understanding of that, if we don't get a handle on that, yes, we will uh, stumble through life as long as we're following God, and we will grow eventually. But if it's taken me 10 to 20 years to grow to the point I am now, if I would have had an understanding of this thinking 10 to 20 years ago, it would have happened in 3 to 5 years instead of 10 to 20 years. So I want to maximize my potential, as Dr. Monroe says with one of his books. I want to maximize my potential. So part of it is that's been the, that's the emphasis for me right now with my teaching and with my understanding and where Lanny knows where he needs to go. I'm deep into this thing because I want to. I've got to get control of this thinking. We want God help me with this. Okay, I'm giving you information. And he says, you know, I give you the ability. It doesn't say he gives us wealth. He gives us the ability to give wealth. He said, I came to have you life and you would have life and have it more abundantly. We always say that's just money. But what about abundance of wisdom? What about abundance of knowledge? What about abundance of, of, of strength to be able to overcome and say no to those things rather than allow them to dictate to my life? And so that's the things that I want. And right now, and I know because it is allowing me to pour out, and I know it's touching people's lives. I know it is because I see it. And so for that, to, to get that understanding for myself, that's one thing. I tell people discipleship is real easy. It's not deep. Discipleship means I've been through some stuff, and I see you where I was, and I can say to you, come on, this is what worked for me if you want to try it and help you walk through it. So getting, I tell people, getting through something is great, but icing on the cake is turning around and seeing somebody messed up and helping them get through. That's what, that's the greatest thing. And so for me to get this understanding first, I have to get it first before I can, before I can let it go with the passion that I need to let it go with. Does that make sense? I've got to be able to pour this thing out with passion. That, that's part of going back to the deal with my daughter. To that passion to get people to understand. And so, so, so right now the thing that is dominating me is this understanding of the way we think and the way we operate so that I can transform my mind effectively so I can walk it out without stumbling all the time. We're going to stumble, but as we, as we grow spiritually, as we learn and we use this knowledge, those times that we stumble get further and further and further apart to what? You know what? It's been years since that tripped me up. Why? Because I have an understanding I didn't have before. And I got that understanding because I learned how this thing works instead of just haphazardly. One of the big words, certain words I use all the time, and a big word is intentional. And it's real deep. It means I'm doing this on purpose. I'm intentional about understanding how this thing works so that I can better teach. Because that's the vehicle I'm using to change lives and bring truth to people to change their lives. That's why it can flow out of me because it's flowing into me. You know, I'm just so thankful. I'm blown away that God lets me do this. Uh, because even like this morning at the coffee shop, I, I go every Saturday and that's where when I'm teaching on Sunday, I, I've, you know, I have all my notes. I've studied them before, and I look at them during the week, 
and I sit down on Saturday morning for two hours and focus on it to get ready for Sunday. So today I took a little extra time, went down since I was off, and uh, there was a, a lady, I've seen her there before, her and her husband, and I'm sitting there and I always have my music right there. I, when it's nice, I sit out on the little outside deck and I have music and I always make sure it's not loud and ask people, is this bothering you? And no, because I have to have certain music. I can't have music with words when I'm studying because I love words. Yeah. So I'm off on what the words are saying instead of this. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, we want to just want to say we love your music. And she said, I see you here taking the notes and writing so intense. She said, what is it exactly that you're doing? And I, so I shared with her about the class. And she starts laughing. She's pointed at him, and he's standing there shaking his head. She said, he said, yeah, I teach at Archer. And so we began to share notes, and they gave me a tip for a book that I'm going to go see if Barnes & Noble's got on prayer. And I was sharing with them about the Marismos and the, the drawing, the design thing that I did that has all the information. I had copies. I gave them a copy. And they said, oh, can we copy this? He said, I'd like to use this for a teaching. And I said, go ahead. And, and so all of that just to say that, that just because in this, I bring up these points with people to make the point, people are watching. You may not know it. People are watching. I'm just there focused on what I'm doing. And someone that's seen me there week after week finally says, what are you doing? I had one young lady that uh, Pastor Ron said, she, you know, they'll let you come to the first class, but after that you need to be a member. Mm -hmm. Never saw the girl before in my life, young lady. I was sitting there at the coffee shop. It was cold weather, so I was inside at a big table they have in their new shop. And I'm sitting at one end, like 10 people can sit at the table. Well, I'm the only one there. And I'm focused. You know, I have my inside, I do the earplugs. I don't do the music. And I'm sitting there, and I, I realize somebody's standing here. And I look up, a young lady, probably in her early to mid-20s. And she says, uh, do you mind if I sit at the other end of the table? And I'm just, I'm sitting there, look, just looked at her blank face. And I said, oh, no, I need all this space. And she just starts laughing and goes ahead and sits down. So I just keep doing what I'm doing. And uh, so I, I give myself a couple hours. So I'm like, okay, got to get back to life here. I start putting everything away. And, and so I'm, uh, get, I stood up. And she said, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, I noticed your books. You know, I'll get up and go get my refill and that sort of thing. Use the bathroom now. She says, I noticed your books, and the subjects interest me. What are you doing? So I shared with her, and I know that I can talk too much. So I try to keep it brief and move on. Well, she kept as I would start to move. She'd ask another question. So I wound up sharing with her about the classes where I'm teaching, what the subjects are, and she said. This really fascinates me. I'd like to sit in on the class if I could. And I said, well, and she, uh, she got to, she sat in on uh, half the classes on the missing ingredient for Pastor Ron on Tuesday nights. Uh, that was the schedule that fit her. And, and I talked to him. He said, yes, she can come for the, that. So she came. She was usually one of the first ones there. She came right down front, sit in the front of it, and just soaked it in.
And and I tell people, I said, that proves people are watching. Uh, here's because and she she gave me her number and said, I said, well, when I start teaching it again, uh, uh, would you? want to know so you could get the whole thing and she said yeah so i'll send her a message saying that we're going to start in october but it's it's sunday morning i don't know if it'll work for her but but anyway my point is people are watching and so the the discipleship thing will fall in your lap if you're walking it out and and she came and was she was just every week she said this material is great she was she went and bought the book she bought the book before she even showed up for class and just because I'm doing, I'm fulfilling what God has given me to do, and I'm no better than anyone else. I'm, I'm not, I'm no more important or better than anybody. Anybody can do whatever God's given you to do. If you're faithful to do it, God's going to orchestrate people into your life that you're going to be able to help. And, and so people are watching us, whether we're doing the things of God or not doing the things of God. People are watching us, and and I'm just amazed that God will do this. Like I said, I'm not, I've never been to Bible seminary, college, any of that stuff, Bible classes, in nothing other than in churches. What just being in classes, and I'm I'm blown away that I get to do this. I'm I just I'm like Lord, thank you, uh, because there is. You know, people, I hear so much, you've heard over the years, people, and even still people talk about the meaning of life. What's the meaning of life? Well, I can tell you one thing, walking in purpose as far as I'm concerned is the meaning of life. And in, and in the, I cannot separate purpose from spiritual gifts. I believe they are so intertwined you can't separate them. And, and if you want the meaning of life, find out what your purpose is. Then find out what it is and then spend the rest of your life giving it away. Because it, your purpose, just like your spiritual gift, is for other people, not you. And I'm just like I'm just blown away. God will, you know, my deliverance from drugs. I spent ten years of my life getting stoned, all the time, from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, stoned. And I say, boy, I would love to have those good, healthy years back now, because they literally went up in smoke. And, but I said, here is. God, that yeah, the miracle was that I got delivered from drugs by the laying on of hands and praying. Instant, total, miraculous miracle, March 26, 1985. And what does God do? He gives me a spiritual gift that requires this thing. It's got to function. Uh, no, no margin for error here. That's that's that just blows me away. It just absolutely blows me away, and I keep trying to encourage people. You have a gift. It may not be this. You are a teacher. Everybody's a teacher. You're preaching the gospel according to you, the way you live. You're preaching the gospel according to you is what you're doing. There's a quote I saw years and years ago, probably 25 years ago. said, you are the only Bible that some people will ever read. And so... They're going to get the gospel. You say you're a Christian. Okay, the way you live, you're preaching the gospel according to you. And if you're the only Bible they will ever read, if you're saying one thing and walking another, you're held accountable for that. The way I understand the Bible, we're going to be held accountable.
but I am eternally thankful for what I get to do. And if I could do something to help somebody get understand, get a different thinking. See, there, there's, I can't think of anything like losing a child. I've known people that did, and I always thought, I don't know how they get through. Uh, other than faith, I don't know how you get through. But if I can share something about it, that somebody who has given up, who has abandoned everything that God has for them because of that loss, and if they can listen to this and get a perspective that pulls them out of this, or what they're going through, then I have done a very valuable service. Uh, that's why I don't mind sharing about the thing about my girl, is that if it'll help somebody, I would be, to me, I would be sinning if I didn't share it. And a tremendous thank you to Lanny for that great interview. And be sure to come back next week for our next guest. Now, as far as Acts 9 Films, that was founded not too long ago by my wife April and I, we have the goal of producing Christian films, documentaries, and podcasts. And in addition to the documentary series that you're currently listening to, and you can also find on our YouTube page, Acts 9 Films, we are producing feature films. Our first feature is a documentary. It is complete. Uh, we completed it just a few months ago. Going Hard for Christ is the name. It's about Pastor Lawrence Peoples, how he overcame drugs, poverty, prison, gangs, and any number of other circumstances to become the pastor of a discipleship-heavy church. It's actually the church that Lanny teaches at. So that's complete. It's going to be, be released in early 2020. Uh, we have submitted it out to various film festivals and open to distribution deals. Uh, we have secured something with Amazon Prime, but also looking for other options as well. So you'll be able to find it there in early 2020. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, you can go to our website, acts9films.com. You can scroll through the appropriate tabs to see the films. Uh, we also have a tab for donations if you're interested in supporting us. If you'd like to donate via PayPal or also on uh, Cash App, the options are there for you. We do have a Patreon page for those who'd like to support us on a reoccurring basis. Your support is definitely appreciated. And we also have the Axe 9 Films shop. There you can see the great gear that we have available. We have t-shirts and hoodies. And of course, as our features become available, you'll be able to purchase those there as well. Uh, you can go to the description for the appropriate links. And we hope to see you in the next episode. This is Jakari Jackson for Axe 9 Films, where we ask the question, how did you encounter Christ?